Hello, welcome to episode two of Art Brunch Archives. I'm the host of Art Brunch, Rick Bowling. You may be wondering where episode one of Art Brunch is. The first episode was a pilot episode with my lovely partner and collaborator, Tiffany Green. While it was a fun conversation, we agree that it doesn't fit with the core of Art Brunch content. Much of this show works well as audio only, but there are times where we are referencing images on the screen. We host these archives on both Apple Podcasts and YouTube. In the podcast description, I will share a link to the YouTube video and vice versa. Lastly, before we learn about Ben, please take a moment to like and subscribe. If you want to watch these talks with our community live on Twitch, I've included those links in the description as well. Episode 2 was filmed with Ben Bradshaw. Ben Bradshaw is an MFA candidate with a focus on textiles at Southern Illinois University of Edwardsville. He has a BFA degree in sculpture from Kansas City Art Institute. His studio is located in downtown St. Louis, Missouri. Bradshaw is an emerging visionary artist working in a variety of mediums with intuitive drawing as the common denominator. His landscapes are topographies of shared psychic space, documentation of collective unconscious divined by the human hand. Through self-directed study of a variety of crafts and techniques, he has found ways to draw with materials well beyond pen and paper. Plasma-cut steel nets, ceramic dream creatures, and animated cosmic serpents are the products of Bradshaw's multimedia practice. Seen altogether, his world comes into view as dream time becomes reality via the long song of design. Ben was a great guest, and we hope to welcome him back in the future. Enjoy the show. Hello, Ben. Welcome to the stream. Welcome to the travel agency. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Rick. I'm happy to be here. How has your day been so far? Uh, it's been okay. Um, woke up a little bit earlier than normal. Um, was really enjoying this weather the last couple of days. Mm. You know, um, really love gray, rainy weather. Been working on some music recently for animations. It's been kind of oh, interesting cool. to kind of dip in and out of making music and playing um well, I took piano for like six years when I was a kid, but rebelled the whole time. There's mm-hmm. a lot of issues there. Um, we had a weather damaged piano. Oh, um, okay. But no one ever told me. So it's like, <laughs> no matter what I did, it always sounded wrong. Uh. And like, um, so yeah, ultimately, I, I feel like I just kind of noodled around with, with this broken piano and just kind of like made these like weird arrangements that have kind of evolved into like using arpeggios and doing all this like you know fun stuff that mm-hmm. now i'm i have something you know to like put with my animation and, mm-hmm. and kind of like heighten both of them you know to like one plus one equals three kind of thing so yeah yeah, yeah definitely I, I i think that um and we'll get into some of the the animations here in a little bit but um music is i i think in your work the music has really changed the experience of the animations um so we've talked about you can follow ben on uh on instagram at spacetime dot mountain yeah mtn yeah and um we've had conversations about uh but we'll have conversations here about the the concept behind um that that term and having uh um this this confluence between space time and then also referencing like space mountain the amusement park ride and i think that the the um 
the music that you're producing is like heightening this level of like amusement or or thrill with with these works that was taking place with the the animations themselves but now setting them to some sort of like thematic mood or some sort of like arrangement of notes or music is is really kind of like heightening that experience Mm -hmm. yeah i i i was very much like just strictly a visual artist for so long and then i I actually was showing animations in my undergrad at kcai Mm. and my uh in the sculpture program because that's what the sculpture program was like Mm-hmm. And then um, I remember my professor like asking me why I didn't have music, and I was like, "Well, I just don't have a mindset for it. I don't, I don't care to include it." And he like kind of thought about it for a second. And he's like, "But music is everything. So mm-hmm. like, how do you like you gotta you, you know?" And it, I realized like you know you watch a movie, and so much of the emotional work that's happening is due to the score, like the way that the you know person sitting in a synth for that like cop drama you know is like is is building the tension or releasing it based off of like what kind of music they're playing just the Mm -hmm. subtle background track you know Mm. creates so much so yeah that's just you know me trying to kind of fill out again another like another facet of of my world another um element of my multimedia practice to to kind of be better rounded so cool i wanted to read to you your horoscope for this week and ask you how how accurate your experience has been has been to this horoscope so um for pisces this week and it is the last day of the week so it's 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 a good time um the sun is newly in your lifestyle sector so in the coming weeks could find you eager to enhance your well-being if your diet or exercise routine has fallen by the wayside you could be newly inspired to get back on track at the same time, getting organized, rearranging your routines so that you can be more productive, and jettisoning activities that no longer serve your best interests can help streamline your affairs and leave you time to relax and unwind. Uh, philosophical Jupiter aligns with your aquatic Neptune, so you could be drawn to someone who seems to understand you. They may admire your creative and imaginative talents, and you may be drawn to their down-to-earth yet positive outlook. I'm not going to say that's about me. But it could be. <laughs> if you want it, this could be a romance or a supportive friendship. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Finally, an awkward tie between savvy Mercury and power broker Pluto hints at tensions with a friend. A conversation could turn the situation around, but you need to be careful how you phrase what you say, which could also... Uh, maybe, maybe I'm in tension. Um, so I'm, I'm curious if, if uh, in your lifestyle sector if you've been enhancing your well-being or getting organized and rearranging your routines uh yeah honestly um it's eerily to the point um i yeah yesterday had a really good day and had like a lot of like clear-headedness and and there's there's a lot of i don't know i see the path i well basically i'm starting grad school the next semester of grad school in like two weeks so it, it, it's kind of a good incentive to like get things in order before that starts mm-hmm. um and so yeah honestly i've been thinking about that like i actually kind of planned on getting a bike um today or tomorrow because um, i haven't had one for probably about a year okay um but yeah there's and and so i go to school at siue mm-hmm. uh southern illinois university of edwardsville and they have a lot of really good trails out there so like that's that would be a good way to like kind of find that um kind of meditative like exercise is biking Mm. 
anyway yeah so that's just one thing but yeah jettisoning sure. i definitely feel the jettison um it's funny hearing power broking pluto like yeah. that's a really interesting way to describe pluto I power never, broker pluto that's that's feels like it should be like a drag persona or something i don't know like there's something there do there's you know what character. that means uh, uh no i have no I idea i have no idea what that means but i feel like that's just like the nature of like you know people who are into astrology is it's a certain amount of of a confidence game of just kind of saying things about planets and people are like oh yeah that's totally how pluto is you know um but i don't know there, there's it's hard to say what is what is um so the, the Google what definition place? of a power broker is a person who deliberately affects the distribution of political or economic power by exerting influence or and or intrigue. But don't you think if Pluto had a little bit of power that they would still be in the top nine? I, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, or maybe they just chose to distance themselves. <laughs> maybe they were pulling the strings. Yeah. That, that, uh, it's like the Dick Cheney of the planets. Like. Yeah, this this federa- this federation of planets did not accurately recognize pluto's rights planet rights mm-hmm. and they've kind of like decided to secede from the federation mm-hmm. of planets and i mean pluto's doing just as good as ever yeah it's out there being being, <laughs> being their best self their best planet yeah i yeah. don't i i mean funding hasn't changed for pluto <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> things like that so uh two very different um <laughs> potentials for for pluto pulling the strings behind the scenes mm-hmm. that's interesting well i i think that horoscopes are kind of like an interesting um uh entry point into you know the ways that we are looking at our lives and the way things are changing i don't know if i necessarily ascribe to them as being you know like fundamental truths or if they're just kind of like a rorschach test for your own immediate psyche yeah that i mean and this kind of circles back actually to something that um we mean to talk about which is like the nature of the mountain in my name of space-time um one of the references that i I like to connect to it is the idea of the the guru atop the mountain that Mm. like someone is is going through this you know this journey this like amount of labor to get to the top to find Mm -hmm. enlightenment which is like a great metaphor for like just what you know life is of just like working through working working laboring to like find you know transcendence or understanding or or anything you know out of experience um but um actually in uh, the show recess uh disney's recess in the very first episode there's a they go to see the guru kid, which is a character I completely forgot about until I rewatched mm-hmm. recently. Mm-hmm. And, um, I have no recollection. Of and that. Mikey or Mikey's the one who's like all about it. And I'm definitely a Mikey out of the, like the recess pack, um, kind of like half, half Mikey, half TJ anyway, tangential. Um, but when they go to see the guru kid, they ask him for his advice and he's like, you know, look at one ant, one ant by itself is like, not that strong but if you look at the whole colony like they they're powerful together and they like oh yeah that makes a lot of sense we should rally together to like overthrow the school you know Mm -hmm. like that's like every every of the journey or every plot on that show was all about like overthrowing the government of the school or whatever being power brokers yeah yeah exactly (laughs) yeah Yeah. being their their uh, channeling their their best pluto um anyway um but what was funny is that like then they walk away and another guy comes up and he's like help me guru guru kid i need help with my math homework and then he says the same parable about the ants oh. and, and <laughs> so he's just saying the same thing to everybody and so it's just like it just they got lucky that it actually applied to their situation basically 
yeah that show that show was so interesting and like watching it again like it made me realize like just how different the world was in the mid 90s and like mm-hmm. just the nature of and i i, <laughs> I kind of wish i'd i'd prepared you and like asked you to watch stuff at the recess so i <laughs> we'd have some shared talking points um and not just spring it on you but uh yeah uh the character of miss grokey who was their teacher and she was like very environmentally conscious like very much about like one earth and like peace and and everything and was kind of the outlier when it came to the school system where everyone else was about like authority and like the kind of you know the fascist principle and the like um the brutal you know miss finster with her like Mm. you know snitch randall and everything um i don't know anyway it's it's just a fascinating show fascinating phenomenon yeah i will definitely look back into it Mm because i do not but yeah (laughs) getting getting back to the topic at hand um yeah so let's let's um move into some questions that we have prepared uh i think it might be a good time for that and then um following the questions that we go over we'll, th- we'll take a look at some of the work and maybe if some things come up as we're we're going through gotcha. some questions we can we can hop over to the work so what i'd like to start off with um as far as like the more interviewee part of the interview and i hope to ask this question for all of the artists that um, join me with Art Brunch, is uh, I want to start by talking about your um, experience with art uh, as a child or your artistic beginnings, um, particularly in childhood. Um, and so you can just uh, start us off wherever wherever yeah, you're interested. For sure. um, and this is a great question for me because like I feel like I find the most um, meat for my artist statements usually in my childhood because um, I had some really I was very lucky, I guess, you know, in the world that I was growing, like the world specifically the nineties, that is, I think, you know, illustrated in recess of like being environmentally aware, talking about community. Um, but also with all of its luxuries, you know, we like grew up in this really like gilded age of commercial success of like having all these toys and sugary drinks and can you know, there's just like a, it was a wonderland that, you know, is, is maybe unimaginable for, you know, um, the future that and also i mean i must like acknowledge my privilege and like my like you know that that bubble that i grew up in mm-hmm. that has been a huge part of it um but um but i was also lucky because um i was an only child and i was uh, uh my parents my mother is uh she is a naturalist at heart and she ended up um going to school for zoology and education and got a job at the St. Louis Zoo as the director of education. And so she actually is the, um, so she's, she was obviously a huge force in my life um, because she's, she's got that kind of encyclopedic memory of like, you ask her about any animal and she'll tell you like all of this information well Mm -hmm. beyond like what you'd expect someone to, to know about, you know, any type of bird or fox or frog or whatever. Um, and then my dad was very much into kind of more spiritual practices, kind of like shamanism adjacent. And like, he also identified with his, you know, sliver of native American heritage. And so he, he, that's how he practiced his spirituality was like going to, uh, sweat lodges, um, every Saturday, mm-hmm. um, down on a parcel of land that, um, was kind of shared by him and, and some of his friends. And so, you know, I would go down with him. And so while they were in the sweat lodge and they were like, you know, during their ceremony, uh, I would like be orbiting that lodge and like in the surrounding creek beds and walking up and down and like turning over rocks and finding salamanders or like um, catching crawfish and um, 
like for me there's this like really strong I, I I'm just so grateful for that like that foundation that I was given because I, I feel like so much of what I do now is referenced in those experiences um and, and so so this picture that I'm trying to illustrate is that like I have these these two sides there's this naturalist side that like you know I, I I'm I know what spiders and snakes and like animals are out in the woods like there's there's no illusion there about like the mystery of the creatures that are out to get me you know mm. like like i'm i have the like but i'm also like you know able to recognize like pattern differences and stuff like that like i at a very early age was like encouraged okay. to like see to recognize what kind of lizard i was catching or whatever um and and i was always very i was like always the kid who was like finding like frogs or whatever in like the weirdest places on field trips or whatever i was like nature boy is what they called me <laughs> um <Rick Flair. laughs> yeah um and and then so like then yeah so so yeah basically like science and like spirituality kind of like come together in the woods for me and that that was kind of like my foundation and and so that's what i was doing you know during the summer or like you know um a few times during the year but then at school like often what i was doing is drawing mazes and and doing this kind of like process art of of generating you know um just, just kind of like traversing like a, a two-dimensional plane with like concentric circles and lines and like, you know, obeying the rules of like, you have to allow passageway through, there has to be like a way out of the maze. Mm. Um, and I was just fascinated with maze drawing. I did that for like, just every day, just filled like, like notebooks, line notebooks, like full of, of mazes. And it was always interesting because I would spend hours and hours and hours building this like, you know, two-dimensional monument to then give it to my friend to solve and they do it in like you know a minute or something <laughs> and it was just frustrating and it i realized you know in retrospect it wasn't about them solving the maze it was more about me building the maze that was more mm -hmm. interesting to me and and you know makes sense now with all the work that i'm doing that that i really just enjoy building something and kind of observing a process as it's growing and and watching those like concentric lines you know kind of like develop um almost in a way that's beyond me or my intention. Um, and yeah, to me that, that is, that is the joy of life is to like, just to do these kind of like data simulations and to like, to run those, those kind of process, process pieces that way. And that, that's kind of a, a common denominator amongst all my work. Yeah. Um, in, in talking about that story, I'm, I'm curious to, to zoom in on the, your recollection or your experience of creating those mazes and if you have a sense of how how that began for you like actually like when were when when was like the first series of mazes that you began to draw or what was some of like the Probably initial like feedbacks kindergarten or first grade uh -huh. i mean it was like way back I mean, that wasn't the only thing I was drawing. I was drawing a lot of bugs, um, okay. really, you know, obviously bugs, lizards, snakes, you know, like all of my fascinations, dinosaurs, robots, you know, that was the thing is so, like, as an only child, mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time alone yeah. I, and I had parents who kind of were wrapped into their own worlds too. So it was kind of like when I was very little, I just kind of expected to keep myself entertained. Mm, yeah. um, and, and that's what I did is I would often just have a sketchbook and it kind of became... I mean, not even a sketchbook. It would just be like, you know, pieces of copy paper, which still kind of carries it through to today. Did you feel like your, your parents were supportive of your um, drawing at an early age? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that, that I, uh, 
what I, I was always fascinated to like ask my mom, like when, you know, I found out she could draw different animals just like on command. I'd be like, Oh, can you draw me this? Can you draw me that? I would just like pull a paper and like, I'm sure she didn't think she was very good, but it just like blew me away that she could just Mm -hmm. like, you know, imagine these things and, and be able to generate it on the paper. And, and she was one who like, you know, we went to like museums and stuff and she would encourage me to draw things from the exhibits or, Mm -hmm. or, you know, um, and yeah. So, so yeah, I, w- I was very much encouraged by my parents and I'm cool. And that was, that was huge. And I feel like that's the thing of the nineties too, is that like uh-huh. we had so many like arts and crafts resources, you know, it seemed like everything, there was always a craft table at like whatever function that I was at at least. But I think that's partially why there's so many artists today, potentially of our generation is that mm-hmm. like, you know, the boomers were like encouraging their children to like express themselves and to like, to generate things. And ultimately it's, I feel like I never really decided to be an artist when I was a kid. It was more just like a lot of people around me saying like, like observing me and saying, Oh, you're going to be an artist when you grow up. Right. And me just being like, I guess I have to make that decision. Yeah. I guess that's (laughs) what I'm going to be. That is actually like the next thing that I was curious about is, is if that decision ever, you know, at what point, could you make that decision? Um, and, and it sounds like you're answering it is that like, there was a decision that started to take place outside of you. Um, definitely in the beginning and you, you say yes, you know, so many times to, yeah, this Mm -hmm. is what I want to do when I grow up. Mm -hmm. Um, because, uh, I think adults are really like, they have all of the things that they're going through. I think our parents, the generation right before us, um, if I was to just make a broad sweeping mm-hmm. guess, a lot of those people wished that they, that their boomer parents would have supported them mm-hmm. in their creative ventures. And a lot of people didn't. So I think, you know, parents of, of millennials kind of range from, what is that, Gen, Gen Xers to boomers can be hmm. parents you know yeah i guess yeah really of millennials yeah um so uh, those experiences for them in their childhood were not the same yeah and i'm i'm assuming a lot i really again needed probably check my privilege before going forward you know like oh it's okay yeah. um but yeah but um what i what i'm trying to illustrate there is that uh, a lot of the caretakers that i had as well growing up um attached to my creativity Mm. Um, and it sounds like they did that for you and I think that some of that attachment comes from um, this absence of being supported in that way when they were a child yeah Yeah. so then moving moving yeah forward um, do you have do you have a sense of an experience where you uh, took under your own control this idea of um, being creative or or making making work for a living or or following this 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 creative dream like is there was there a shift that took place or well and i guess another uh, a huge element that i have yet to mention in this conversation that has produced who i am is the school that i went to um was the college school of webster groves very very lucky to go there very privileged mm-hmm. to have that experience um was a uh, hands-on experimental learning school but it was like a small class um that i was in and and generally when there was like a project that had some creative element everyone wanted me to to be on their group you know to Mm -hmm. to make the poster make the whatever because i was always the most creative um 
and so that was a way that it was encouraged. Like I was able to recognize myself in that group um, setting. And and it's so funny, you know, like I, you know, in, in high school or whatever, like I remember we'd have like classes, you know, you, you start a semester and there'd be, you go, to, you go to new classes and the teacher will have you do like an icebreaker and like have everyone say something interesting about yourself, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and someone like may have like, you know, broken all their bones in their body at one point in their life or yeah. they'd like ridden a jet ski like those are but like mine was always like i'm an artist you know oh, like okay. and then i remember going to art school like and and doing the same icebreakers and like everyone everyone you know in a community suddenly where everyone's answer is like oh i'm an artist or i'm creative mm-hmm. suddenly like no one's unique you mm-hmm. know like it kind of becomes this new new situation of like how you de- how you define yourself um but like just going to art school from the public high school education I had that really did not seem to have any real grasp on what being an artist in the real world really was or even mm-hmm. what was happening in, you know, anywhere in the, in the, in the art community. Um, going into art school where there's like, I'm, I'm, you know, my peers have like had art high school education and like, you know, have so much more knowledge than I do. It really was a culture shock and took me a long time, even I'd say years after I graduated to really grasp who I needed to be or what I needed to, to create, to be able to like make being an artist successful or make myself, you make it ultimately profitable, which still, you know, climbing that mountain Mm. to figure out what, (laughs) what that's going to look like. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's a a big challenge, and um, I think, you know, so w- one of the things that I'm I'm interested in sharing with um, our audience is the the ways that you convince yourself of being able to create things, or or like being an artist. Like so much about what you talk about in your path has to do with um situations that surround you mm-hmm. and also has to had to do with eventually like this like method of defining yourself and redefining yourself and redefining yourself um in that iteration over like the in, in entire course course of time i think i think that people struggle with their own creativity in adulthood if it wasn't continuously fostered for them in one way or another as a child or it wasn't a part of the discussion or wasn't something that, you know, because every time somebody said, Ben, you should do the poster, it's like this this outward, out-to-in reinforcement mm-hmm. of, of this experience that you're having. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't really know exactly how to translate that, um, but I, I just think it's interesting to consider the the difference between, like, choice and then even maybe encapsulating some of this privilege talk that you talk about mm-hmm. is that like artists as privilege and mm-hmm. like art as privilege and and the it's just not I, I just think most clearly it's important to know that like being an artist is a choice but it's like this iterated choice and and to start to see it reflected to you in your reality helps mm-hmm. helps reiterate that, um, but it's it's a really complex uh, system to go from not being an artist to being an artist, and and internalizing yeah. internalizing that state of creativity and being able to share that with others. 
very simply, most of the stuff that you make is not going to be good. Most of the stuff that you make is going to be probably bad. Um, you're going to feel that it does not uh, immediately connect to the idea that you're trying to convey. And the amount of time that when I am active in the creative process, that it is not going the way that I want it to go and it is not looking the way that I want it to look is nearly 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. It's like there, the translation between like what my mind and what my brain is able to imagine as some beautiful potential reality and the way that reality appears on a standard basis mm -hmm. is completely, completely mistranslated. Like my brain does not think in reality. Uh, it, it is I, well I think you're talking about expectations too and and this is actually making me think of like advice that I was given you know when trying to paint from life that like that um that feeling of like anxiety and like frustration that you're like not able to render you know this still life the way that you want it to be mm -hmm. is is actually a sign that you do know what is good you do know how to make it good but you're just like struggling with like the hand-eye coordination and the like mm -hmm. the and, and that just takes time. That just mm -hmm. takes time of like climbing up the mountain. That's exactly what the metaphor is all about is that like y you kind of, yeah, at a point I, I just had to kind of like learn to accept the anxiety as part mm -hmm. of the process. And, and at this point I kind of enjoy asymmetry at a point. Like I, it's weird. I feel like I rarely make symmetrical stuff anymore. It's more like I really like really, you know, weird scale shifts and stuff like that because that sense of unbalance for me is an opportunity to like add something else mm -hmm. and to like kind of to keep to push it this way a little bit to push it that way a little bit just like subtle shifts that can that can keep keep it moving forward you know um and at this point i feel like even when i'm working on stuff i never know when it's done you know and, and mm -hmm. at a certain point you just have to walk away walking away is super important yeah. because half the stuff i walk away from not feeling perfectly well feeling very like anxious about mm -hmm. or in some way unclear about um, a lot of those things clarify not from walking away but from walking back to it mm -hmm. uh, all right so let's move over here to some of the work so um, you want to start with the images and then we'll move up to the animations yeah all right so uh, we'll start with some, some um, images actually you want to go up real quick you want to go to my highlights um, go to nets real quick okay um, so you're going to see these kind of flip through real quick. Um, so these, this is a process that I, I got really excited about um, where I was taking um, sheet steel and I was uh, cutting it with a plasma cutter, um, which is like a lot of heat and some pressurized air and electricity. Oh, you can probably turn the audio off on that. I don't know if that, well, it's, I can't, it's fleeting. <laughs> yeah, whatever. It, we'll live with it. Um, yeah, so I cut it with a plasma torch. Um, so this is, this is it in the process of being cut. Um, and you can see some of the chalk lines there to kind of show where the guides are. And I'm just kind of cutting out those, those holes inside of it. And then, and then the secondary process, which you saw in that first piece, is uh, texturing it with a heat torch. And what I really love about this process is that I am finding this connection of steel and paper. Um, so in origami, there's this whole trend of wet paper folding. Some of these are videos and not quite plain, but that's fine. Um, of... So in origami, there's a, oh, and this is projecting light onto it too. The coolest thing about steel, brushed steel, is the way that it reflects light. Also the most frustrating when you're trying to document mm. it. Um, oh. 
I can see that how that would be a problem. Yeah, but but it creates opportunities for installation and for like I mean to create something that would go behind a, the back of a bar would be really exciting. Anyway, um, so if you own a bar, yeah, hit me up. Uh, <laughs> get that steel money. Bar owners um, of Twitch. Yeah, <laughs> or you know if you want an installation in your house or something, um, it's a really cool process and it's it's very I, I'm able to be intuitive with it and. And just to finish that thought that I just had, the, so it's, to me, I see a connection with wet paper folding with origami because as you're using the heat torch, it's just contorting it just a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's kind of, it's, it's manipulating the metal. And it, um, it, it's doing this thing. I was at an art fair, actually, in St. Louis at the Shaw Art Fair years ago. Um, and I saw a metal artist and it was making these steel pieces that were like really like liquidy and like really fluid. And I was so surprised. And I was like, you know, when I was taught, I, t- I was talking to him and I was like, you know, when I was taught metal, I was like, always kind of like frustrated with how everything was square and everything was like hard and like, you know, earthy. And he was like, yeah, that's, you know, kind of the opposite of what metal really is. Like it really is more liquid. Like You mm. got to think about it as like a liquid. And, and that's something that stuck with me until I was able to get into a uh, metal studio again um, and be able to kind of explore that with these, these metal nets. Um, so this is this is definitely the kind of culmination of my my sculptural practice um, is are, are those pieces. Um, although now that I'm in grad school, I'm kind of starting to move into soft sculpture, um, which we'll get to in a little bit. But um, starting with what we have on the page right now, uh, these are a lot of digital designs that I've been generating, um, and I've been really having fun with the kind of just formatting of. Um, uh, Instagram and that like you know you have the slides that as you flip through there's uh you know no pixel gap in between so you you have to like do you want to click on one of these mm-hmm. actually um actually go down a little bit uh this one's really good and the, the experience, oh I don't know if it's gonna work on yeah the it's experience not gonna work is a little here. different so yeah um well if you look at this on your, on your phone <laughs> um and you flip through if you swipe through them you can actually see like see this become a singular landscape um right now i think with the zoom and everything it's kind of cropping things in a way so yeah definitely check this out on your phone yeah, uh it seems a little bit better when we go backwards. hit that hit that like you button hit that subscribe button see it slowly but yeah they, we can go back to the thumbnails that's it's probably a better place to you. be um oh it, it was cropping it quite a bit oh and this is my dog if anybody's interested she's the best dog in the world um that's my eye <laughs> that's my crusty eye okay <laughs> all right we'll uh We'll adjust I'll that. I'll get out of that. Um, oh, sorry. You know, I think if you if you just want to zoom out, actually, just like. Well. Or are you stuck on? Or I am not zoomed in. This would be zoomed in. Oh, weird. Yeah. Um, and, um, maybe we can. You know, what, let's just go to the video. That's fine. Let's go to some um, videos. So these are some some things I have cooking. Uh, you want to go to Untitled Three, actually? Yeah. Um, so this is a good example of these designs um, in an animated form. So, um, okay, I guess we have to download it. Thanks for bearing with us. Uh, you gotta love travel agents. I don't know what you're it. calling them, but fellow travelers, travelers, yes, <laughs> space time travelers. Um, yeah. So um, I've always really liked um, Adobe Flash, now known as Adobe Animate. Um, which is not at all a popular animation program to use and is, is continually being kind of pushed out of relevancy. Um, 
but um, I still find myself coming back because I love to generate these kind of forms. Um, and so what I'm doing in Illustrator on those, the images I'm doing here also in Flash Animate, um, I'm, I'm making a shape and then um, generating the color and then copying and pasting it all the way across. And each shape, each instance, each symbol has its the same rotation put on it. And so um, at each instance, I also rotate it a little bit more. So it creates that kind of like skeletal snake structure mm. um, in, in this specific one. Each one has its own kind of like tweaks or like variations to it. Um, but yeah, um, recently I've been, I've been researching more about color. Um, that's kind of something that I've been learning from painting is like color, like, you know, finding ways to balance color. Also screen printing. I'm really getting into like CMYK and like understanding um, color as it operates with like ink and overlay, but also then, then coming back to painting, like the way that color works with like light. Um, and so I'm finding ways to create color patterns that I think are more, create a lot of variation in a small amount of space um, that can be shown in this format, this kind of like cycling format where you can see see things churn and see all the different sides of it. Mm. Um, but, you know, it's frustrating because I make, I spend so much time on these things <laughs> and then I post them online and then I see someone who just like, you know, spent like 20 minutes in Cinema 4D make something that just blows my stuff out of the water and it makes me wonder if i need to update my tools and work on something else yeah but um this is a video you sent me um a couple weeks ago here oh yeah so this this might help explain some of the process stuff that you were talking about uh, um yeah so this is actually me generating it in illustrator um in real time too um so what what about um like upgrading the the tools and would would help help the generation you know like i don't i don't understand the difference between those those different um well when i i had an opportunity to like do some like video djing um with a uh, collective here in st louis and um and there was another animator um there um uh TJ, Terrifying Jellyfish, on Instagram. Check him out. He's really good, and he's making some video games right now. It's really exciting cool. stuff. Um, and it was just this reality of, like, seeing our anime. Well, it was also, like, we were showing it the Pulitzer, and they have, like, they didn't want to project onto the Donald Judd because the light's going to degrade it. And they, But they had the music down there. So they, so they had the music in one area and then the animation somewhere else entirely. It was just, like, a very weird experience. And then they decided instead of using the large projector to use the small one. Um, so all of my preparation, all the hours of work I put into this, were expecting to have the thing projected onto the musician as they were playing. Uh -huh. So I had these like really rich textured pieces, like a lot of you know detail um, that were condensed to a postage stamp on the wall, you know. And so his stuff, he was working in like um, Blender and I can't remember the other program. Um, sorry, TJ, um, but. Uh, he was making these really beautiful things that, you know, he admitted to me took like very little time at all. Mm. But like, because of the, the, how much of a powerhouse the, the programs are, they're able to like generate three dimensional things, orbiting planetoids and stuff that are really impressive mm -hmm. because of how far technology is advanced. I see. And the programs that I'm using are just a little bit dated and a little bit, they don't have that same kind of like glean of like new, you know, 21st century technology. Mm. Um, anyway, um, and so I just kind of felt frustrated ultimately that like, um, you know, we, 
that's you just have to like kind of compete you have to like keep up to date you have to have the the current fit you know if you want to look impressive at at the at the thing um but yeah also it was still a really positive experience and i still really love doing like video dj and stuff ultimately um these animations animations are really best suited i think for playing behind live music Mm. and if there's anybody out there um interested in that please hit me up i really am I'm looking to donate these videos um, for the sake of, you know, just better circulation. Um, yeah. Um, oh, did you, sp- so did you fast forward? I just wanted to yeah. jump forward a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, when I, I actually made these videos, like I sped them up times five because I knew how long um, oh, yeah. they are. But this is good. This is, So you saw the shape being built. You saw me kind of like add some distress to it. And now this is me copying it. And and there's uh, some automation in Illustrator 2. So you see that little window pop up. That's me like hitting the R button and just adding a rotation of um, like two degrees or something. So each time I hit it, I, I move it and then or I copy paste, um, move and then rotate. Here I'm not even rotating it because I like to add that variation uh-huh. um, because so much of this comes down to just like how you see the shapes line up next to each other and create that kind of oblique angles. Um, and this is something that is like really important in landscape painting. Um, that like that's how you create proper landscape is how you overlap and create you can create really beautiful depth that way um but ultimately what i'm creating are like snake skeletons so (laughs) um and and i don't know i mean i have no idea what this is going to look like really um by the time i'm done with it i really just just kind of move across the page and it it's taken a long time to figure out how to like kind of properly zigzag across it too Look at all. Oh, that's noisy. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and this is me then like tweaking it to kind of fit the frame better My and to find what kind of obliterate itself. <laughs> well, it's just black and white. I mean, it, this is actually like pretty, pretty low in terms of like computation. Oh, that's good. Um, when I'm trying to do the same stuff in like After Effects, n- oh, yeah, yeah, no way. No, I cannot. Just rip. Um, yeah, it, it hates it. it. Um, you were saying that it, it's taken some time to. <laughs> kind of uh, understand how to transpose it or how yeah. to find the right space. Yeah, and to, to properly crop it or to like get the right curves. And even this one, I, I'd say I'm ultimately not 100% pleased with. Um, and and what was really, I think, actually working with Instagram, and again, if you go on, my, um, on, on mobile and see Instagram there, you can see this better demonstrated that by having it cropped to squares that create a line, a longer like landscape, you i can create these like these finer moments amongst like a a longer piece Mm. in a longer format that it it kind of it provided a better system of of spatial recognition spatial organization and decision making so yeah yeah i like um i like the way that you've been uh using instagram as like a medium um and a part of the like the art making process Mm so uh, I think that there's a lot of opportunity on Instagram to um, use the capabilities of the platform itself uh, to start to create interesting. Um, I'll just mute you while you're drinking. You're good. Uh, <laughs> if you're worried about it, but um, but yeah, like seeing the you, know, you can create relics on Instagram or things can go through different processes like you shared that really cool image actually promoting our stream today and then I was able to take that and share it to my page and add like different textures to it and um, just using the capability of Instagram as an image processor and also as a space for images to be housed 
um, is really interesting. That swipe feature, I love that the swipe feature on Instagram is seamless. And I don't think it's always been that way. I think there used to be white borders. Well, I mean, it used to just be a single image, too. That's like, true. And then they just, you know, it, it's interesting to really see how it evolves, too. Um, <laughs> yeah, and to, like, kind of, it, some, some old posts just, like, look like trash because of, like, how mm-hmm. the program's changed. Because I was designing it for how it was, and now it's different, so it doesn't quite work the same way, you know? Mm, yeah. Um, but, yeah, now now it's it's got an interesting format that is an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so back with Ben here, um, I think we want to go through some other notable uh, works of art or other things that you want to share with our viewers. Well, why don't we um, download the file co- Fire Coral and um, okay. MP4? That's the one that actually has uh, audio. Um, oh, I think I already sent that one to you, though, right? You did. Yes. Um, cool. Yeah, so this one, I think, is is kind of was the breakthrough of, of kind of like getting back to making music just like a week ago, really. Um, maybe a little bit more. And and kind of being a little bit more serious about the animations. Um, so yeah. So yeah, we'll open this up. This one was playing in the browser at, at some point, so we'll see if it wants to do that today. If the audio works. Yeah. Um, and so this is on my Instagram. The formatting was kind of funny, um, but this is how it's meant to be seen. So. something that well and then you start to see the the frame itself is starting to rotate too i love the subtle like trying to create all these subtle shifts happen simultaneously and that's what's cool about the music is that i'm in garage band i'm able to kind of do those subtle shifts in coordination with the animation um and kind of go back and forth you know between different from the animation to the music to add things at different times um because it's all kind of part of the same song you know the animation is, is part of the music. Yeah, that's the most satisfying ending I've ever done. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever be able to recreate it. Endings yeah. are hard. Mm-hmm. I think that um, <laughs> if we look to popular culture or to any kind of media, uh, usually the endings are typically the place where things fall the most flat. Yeah, and I mean, even in like a celebrity's you know arc of popularity, at some point, if you stay in too long, your fan base is going to want to consume you you know and devour you like there's that kind of 
cannibalistic quality almost mm. to like anything. So you have to be able to walk away before, you know, like at, at the peak or like right after. Um, I actually like well, in coming back to art making, because yeah. that's what we're talking about. Um, like True. I compare it to cooking in that, you know, when you're like, you know, sauteing vegetables, there's like a moment of like, you still have that crisp color, you know, still have the nutrition, but it's like cinch just enough. If you go too far, mm. the vegetables get ruined or it burns, you know, mm-hmm. which is like a very um, direct metaphor to like, you know, pen on paper is like at a certain point you put too much ink in, it oversaturates and it, it burns mm-hmm. through. So you got to be able to like know when to walk away. So, so how do you know when to walk away? Um, I don't always. I mean, yeah. I definitely I, I I spend hours on a piece, and sometimes it's like ten minutes too long, and yeah. then it's like, oh well, that was an experience, but mm-hmm. I don't think I have anything to show for it. You know, I had the most clear experience of that at Kansas City Art Institute. I took a workshop drawing class with Jim Sajovic and it was uh, a class where we were drawing stones Um, so in the beginning of the workshop I think he just had like a box of rocks and all the students would come up and choose one of the rocks and then what you would do is um, you would do increasingly larger and larger scale drawings of the rocks um, and then we were asked to then make abstract drawings based on the information that we generated through the the drawing of the rocks. And I, in art school, I was just like fueled by Adderall and coffee and cigarettes. Like those were like the three um, sides (laughs) of my triangular pyramid. And (laughs) and there was nothing, nothing else really going on. But there was a moment where I got just, so into the zone in these charcoal drawings and i had this drawing that was like bifurcated on one side there was a bunch of um it was like very light and on the right side it was very dark and it had this uh wonderful break and it and it just kind of happened naturally through through my adderall fueled rage and (laughs) and there is this moment where i know now that the drawing was incredible and there was almost a buzz in the room that was taking place because the work was getting to this point. But I like wasn't satisfied with it because I began this drawing thinking about something completely different. So I just kept working and kept working it. And uh, Jim came up to me like in the middle of me working on this piece. And he was like, hey, man, I want you to stop stop walk away yeah like (laughs) you need to really consider what you have here you like really need to consider what you're doing and in my adolescent deep adolescent knowledge i was like like, well if it's good now it's going to be even better when i get it to the place screw you dad i'll show you yeah Yeah, (laughs) and and then i just bared witness to myself just completely fucking up this drawing just completely destroying it like Mm -hmm. right before my eyes which wasn't a new experience. I had had that experience making drawings before where then I would ruin it. And then at some point it would re reveal itself better. But in this particular Mm. case, yeah, I had a Phoenix moment where you're able to like kind of reclaim it sometimes. Yeah. yeah, Did not take place with this particular drawing. Yeah. It's another example of like oversaturation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It got, it just, it just started to dissolve and disintegrate in front of my eyes. And, uh, it was a, a, a good, moment of reckoning for me is that sometimes other people know things that I don't 
and uh, the ability that I have to create something beautiful is in some cases directly proportionate to my ability to completely destroy it. So, um, what are the ways that you ask people to support you or like what are some ways that people could um, support you in a fashion that you think is like appropriate or that that you really enjoy well my whole reality i think orbits around my instagram page so in a way i just i feel pretty similar to like an instagram model where it's like i at this point i'm just asking for validation and for encouragement so um, following me on Instagram um, and commenting on my work or just, you know, sending me messages um, and communicating. And I, I love that. I love feedback. I love um, seeing what other people are doing, too, and, and growing the, the network and, and the community that exists out there. But yeah, I definitely encourage all of you. And that's, this is something that I'm taking into my practice is commenting on other people's stuff. It doesn't have to be anything. It can just be emojis. It can be something you notice. It can be uh just like keep up the good work like you're gonna look like a nerd but you're gonna look like a nerd who supports your friends and cares about one another and the more that we can do that um with each other i think that that builds these communities and these networks i love that as a line you're gonna look like a nerd who supports their friends like yeah. that should just be the tagline of travel agency <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> that's great um and we all have these experiences where somebody you admire is engaging with your work and and it can be that little bit of sunshine like in otherwise cloudy creative experiences mm -hmm. of like oh you know it took them nothing but like it is it is meaningful that's why i would say that so um some rapid fire questions here uh just gonna kind of run the gamut of of, of different yeah, sure. things and we're gonna open the conversation back up to life so if anyone has any questions for ben um please drop them in the chat and i'll kind of pepper them in uh, i know that he would love to answer them um but the uh the first question is, um, what is one of one simple thing that you're trying to get good at right now? Uh, making music, um, understanding chord progressions, and um, God, I want to learn guitar so bad, but I know it's just not in the cards, not right now. But eventually, some would say that's not simple, but it is not. <laughs> no, that is a much steeper mountain than than I have shoes for at the moment. So, yeah. Cool. Um, when was the last time somebody offered you sparkling water? <laughs> Or still water. Uh, I mean, anytime I go over to my uh, girlfriend's house, she's always got sparkling water. Um, my favorite line of the I Love It video from Kanye West and Lil Pump. Uh -huh. Are you familiar with that song? Uh, I have a, the image burned in my mind yeah. of them dancing <laughs> around in those weird foam bottle outfits. So, yeah. Kanye has this way of like saying verses that are so like strange and lame but as time goes on i feel like i recognize the the genius of it yeah. like my favorite my favorite part of his verse is like when's the last time they asked you if you want sparkling or still and it, and it's like i think it encapsulates so this idea There's so much there of like how affluent are you like what yeah. restaurants are you going to yeah. like when's the last time you walked into some place and they cared enough about you to ask you if you wanted sparkling water or still water. Uh -huh. um, I just think it's a genius line, so I like to ask other people that. Well, there's a. Um, it's funny because I offered you sparkling water when you came <laughs> over, and yeah, anyway, I'm living um, a life of opulence. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, it makes me think of a line by a rapper that I like. Um, I think so. It, the rapper's name is Milo, um, but he has a lot of pseudonyms, which is, I think is really interesting. That he mm -hmm. like tests out these different identities. Mm -hmm. I feel a kinship with that, with how many times I changed my identity. Um, to, to kind of find the right title that fits. But his line is, um, 
like in rich folks homes drinks come with coasters mm. um which i think is interesting um we got coasters, got coasters in here, yeah. Which folk. I guess we're we're on the other side. There's, <laughs> yeah. Or uh, the the really common one I think is like, where is your trash can located? Is uh, <laughs> you know, like, is your trash can in a drawer or a cabinet versus like out in the open? Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, and I think that that was a designation for me, like starting to go to like my rich friend's house when I was a child. They had like special compartments, yeah, hmm. for their trash cans. I don't know. Okay, <laughs> I'm moving on. Uh, what is your favorite type of gum? Uh, this this podcast this podcast vlog is sponsored by Five Gum. <laughs> I oh, think so I have to choose Five th- Gum. No, no, you don't. No, I just I just want to make it, make sure is everyone that why knows. there's Five Gum scattered everywhere. Yeah, they don't know that they sponsor. <laughs> uh, they don't know that they sponsor the travel agency yet. But um, the travel agency is what it feels like to chew Five Gum. <laughs> now I go over to you. What okay. is your favorite type? That's of why gum? my head's exploded in this like sound <laughs> chamber. Yeah. Um, uh, favorite type of gum? I like a good uh, tropical gum. Um, Trident generally is my go-to. I think they've got good packaging, mm-hmm. and that really is the reality of what we consume. Is it comes down to packaging, mm. um, and I just like their whole like multi-tiered thing. Flips open. It's kind of like a wallet or something, mm-hmm. um, but just good really box. bright, colorful packaging with the aluminum. Um, but the flavor is like consistent. It lasts. The like the w- the chunkiness of it too is really like pleasant to bite into, almost like like a quarter slice of like bubblicious, you oh, know. Yeah. But it's like it's still got that like juicy like, you know. Because Trident doesn't have a hard shell. It's it's <laughs> yeah. it's a it's not like a dentine. Soft all the way through. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it, ha- it does have that like classic bubblegum mm-hmm. bit, uh, and they have a good tropical flavor. That's what you're saying. I I mean I usually go for a tropical flavor if I'm grabbing something in the impulse section. Um, but I think the most recent one that I was into, I think was like a passion fruit berry. Okay. But honest, I mean, I'm open to like new gum experiences. So if I see something I haven't tried before, yeah, I'll go on that adventure. Why not? Okay, cool. Yeah. Moment of vulnerability. Uh, Think about checking out five gum. Um, (laughs) (laughs) have you ever successfully completed a game of Monopoly in your life? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I've lost. I've won. I've had the board flipped over on me because I was winning. You know, mm-hmm. I've been there. Okay, good. Yeah. Well, y- y- you lack, or you don't like perseverance. Uh, that that much is clear. From I'm well, I love games. I I'm I'm in it, not necessarily to win it or compete against other people. I mean, but like more of just to like to to do it to like be good at it. Like that's the thrill I get, and to like you know be better than I was yesterday. Like if there's something that I don't understand, I'm gonna try mm-hmm. to figure it out. Just like music and like chord progressions. Or guitar, yeah. Um, if you weren't in your current profession and uh, you could just choose a profession and be proficient at it, what would you be doing? I don't know. I mean, I. Um, it's interesting because I feel like when I went to art school and was doing a bunch of drawings and didn't really know much about construction or anything, I feel like... I, certain judgments were placed upon me by like you know say my father you know that like I wasn't like blue collar enough or like tough enough and I ended up getting a job at Ikea where I was actually driving a forklift and mm-hmm. like um, which ultimately my favorite part of the whole job was actually being on the ground and like moving boxes around and like and there was I, I was able to develop this kind of workout routine of like just pushing box sliding boxes across the ground um, full of like you know they'd be pillows but it'd be a big box so it'd like end up being you know 
something a little bit heavier with like friction and everything. I have but to interject real quick. Yeah. Do, do you ever watch the show Nathan for you? Yes. Uh, Nathan for you has a segment where he turns a moving company into like a fitness community, yeah, which is brilliant. I yeah. Love that. I don't think I've seen that clip, but yeah, that that's a great idea. Basically people paid to work out as employees of the moving company. Genius. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, to answer, I mean, I don't know. I, I honestly, I don't, I mean, I don't work at Ikea now, but like just, I would love to go back and just move boxes. Like I, mm. there's something about that kind of transcendent labor about, you know, stocking shelves and, and stuff like that, that I like. So. Being an art preparator may be for you. Maybe there's a little bit you can be. I mean, not necessarily rough, but you could be a little bit like tough with some stuff. I don't oh, know. Our yeah. preparator, there's a little bit of anxiety I have there about like the client hovering over me, just being like, <gasps> you know, yeah. like but. my stint as a preparator for the Kemper Art Museum. Um, we had a lot of different box moving experiences uh, for their Ai Weiwei show. We had uh, 30 crates full of bricks from his demolished studio in Shanghai. Um, so with those boxes, you could beat them up. It was like 30 tons of uh. bricks total. Uh, so it was it was an incredible amount. So you could beat those up, but then other times you're using that same forklift moments before or moments after to move a, a de Kooning in a crate. Yeah. Mm, are If you had to choose between Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, and the Disney Channel, uh, which one would it be for you? Cartoon Network. Cartoon Network. I, I, I didn't have cable growing up, so really it was mostly just like, you know, there'd be two episodes of Simpsons on at like 6 p.m. every day or like recess in the morning, hence the mm. obsession, um, was like my cartoon fill or going over to a friend's house to watch Cartoon Network. Um, most often Samurai Jack and like, mm. yeah. um, which is really like the height of animation, I would say. Um, or Powerpuff Girls, you know, both Genity, I'm going to, butcher his name but um sure. but his projects very cinemagraphic a lot of really cool layering of images but like elevating the animation to this kind of fine art quality um and like courage the cowardly dog mm -hmm. um et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. very good um do you tie your right shoe or your left shoe first either or i mean i i really don't have that nailed down to the point of where like i know which one comes first it's really it's probably more about proximity mm -hmm. like even when i so when i sign my name it's like ben bradshaw but like when i come back i do this b first and then this b set like so it's like more about where my hand is than it is about like right or left but um when i am tying my shoes my cat really likes to get involved if, mm. if i'm tying my boots then my laces are kind of long and they flip out in a way that he then gets you know creates interference for the whole operation but it's a moment of play in, you know before i go to work or school or whatever so yeah yeah i'm sure the your buddy cherishes that moment he does because he's desperate for <laughs> for attention i got a lot of animals that just want to play all day but um are you more likely to be the giver or the recipient of the bird while driving like flipping someone off um in 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 the essence, I'm the giver, um, but I don't. I oh, know I do. I do flip the bird sometimes. <laughs> I more just yell. I'm just like, what's this jerk hole doing? You know, I just like, just mad. I get I get road rage. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I'm sure I get it too. I don't always check to see if someone's mad at me, but um, I I am very conscious of if I'm in anybody's way or like causing yeah. inconvenience to other people, which people aren't, and that 
really frustrates me. So yeah, the giver. Okay, <laughs> good. Um, in a general sense, what are your thoughts on quinoa? Uh, oh, the ancient grain? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I'm keen on it. Um, mm, he was prepared. We didn't send these <laughs> questions over beforehand. These were supposed to kind of get been off balance but it seems like it's an impossibility oh, man a bit like puns you know i it's a disease really i i can't help myself but um <laughs> you could you could probably have more more of a grill to like really get me off balance i encourage you to try to throw me off balance next, next time. time yeah yep. from the get-go like starting okay. off just like <laughs> um if you had to kill one of your parents you know that kind of thing yeah but, like, <laughs> yeah just Good. kidding, mom and dad. <laughs> Uzi, find out next time. Uh, so those are your thoughts on quinoa? Great. <laughs> uh, all about it. Yeah, yeah. Moving, moving on. Um, uh, to, to, take a, a, to wrap up with this 10th question here, um, what is the most memorable, memorable response that you've gotten to your work? Um. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, I, I obviously, like, love praise, but I can't remember really any praise at the moment. I feel like I remember criticisms more than that. Um, because those criticisms are something that, like, are a challenge to myself. Actually, this is, you know, I think the most appropriate one for this, this question is that... Um, So when I wasn't a sculptor, when I was like more of an illustrator and I took workshops at KCAI, I took a Steve Whitaker workshop and it was the tower workshop. Mm -hmm. um, and so the whole point of it was to build structure and to build towers. Of course, there was very little um, technical instruction on like how to use tools or like how to actually build anything. And at one point I decided I was gonna build a tower. It was a multiples project and I thought it would be clever to build a tower out of chocolate chips. And I thought, oh, I'm gonna melt chocolate chips and build a structure out of <laughs> melted chocolate, not knowing anything about tempering chocolate. Not, yeah, it was a disaster and it was like heavily criticized. Basically, I took these courses in that were sculpturally oriented, oriented and realized that's what I wanted to learn, which ultimately prompted me to like go into sculpture. When I was there, I took like one mold making class. It was like probably one of the few technical classes I actually took there. Um, that really got me obsessed with plaster, plaster casting. And I was making a lot of these like mounds, these plaster mounds that were cast inside of uh, carved out clay bowls. I would make, you know, an indent and then carve into it, kind of drawing, you know, um, develop a nice balance or asymmetrical balance flow of um, texture and then cast the plaster inside of it and then like excavate the clay off of it. And it was always exciting to like kind of see what that process would turn into. Anyway, when I was doing that, years after that tower workshop, uh, I was doing that process. I was in a critique with Whitaker and, um, and Rush Rankin, I think was his name. Uh, he was a poetry professor and he was giving me a lot of praise and Whitaker was not about that. He was like, oh, this guy, this poetry professor doesn't know what he's talking about. There was a weird energy in the room. Mm -hmm. And later, see Whitaker called me to his office and he was like trying to talk to me and give me advice. And he thought, oh, maybe I'll give him some like abstract advice. Maybe that'll stick, which ultimately it did. And he told me to go to the Nelson Atkins in Kansas City, um, art museum there right next to KCI's campus. Go to the Nelson Atkins and look at the Asian art exhibit. Look at the funerary horses, the camels, and, and look at the difference between a, a horse that's laying down and a horse that's standing up. 
because you know he saw these lumps on the ground not having space not getting up not having like room beneath them it, they needed to be more dynamic is the way that i ultimately took that but i i just chewed on that you know for so long that it eventually propelled me into ceramics and i'm, I'm the creatures that i'm making now are these like horses that like uh, that are based off of funerary horses in um in that from that section of of the museum um well and like many other museums, if you go to SIC, if you go to many other art museums, they, they have them everywhere. It was a yeah. very popular thing. Um, yeah, that's some general advice for people. It's yeah, like walk around the whole museum. Yeah, and and but like the advice, the the the, the note that it really stuck out for me was there's a difference between a horse lying down and a horse standing up, and I think it it talks about agency. It mm. talks about you know your willingness to to be a horse that's standing, you know, mm. instead of a horse that's just lying down. I feel like we live in a world where it's really easy just to lie down and not to not to be active, but like to to figure out what that image is or what that metaphor is if for you in your own life of a horse standing up is really important. Mm. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. All right. Well, um, we're getting towards the end here. Uh, we want to thank Ben Ben Bradshaw at spacetime.mtn on Instagram for joining us today. I thought it was a really wonderful conversation and um, you're really the uh, most active and biggest supporter of the travel agency right now and we really appreciate that and it's great to have you on the flagship show and to have you here so early in the process. For those of you that are viewing, um, you know, Ben will be back with us in upcoming weeks and months um we plan on having you know uh artists coming in um like next week we have uh ashley delgado um a friend of mine st louis um I, i'm not sure how she considers herself but she does uh, more illustrative work um she's doing some uh collaborations with some wildlife charities and some or no she's doing some wildlife images for collaboration with social activist charities um so we're gonna have different artists on each week but Ben's going to come back with us at some point and we can go deeper down the rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's talk, what we're going to be doing. more about recess and um, other nineties movies. Yeah, and we'll, shows. yeah. We'll prepare the media. <laughs> and well, maybe Ben will give us a, a full presentation on the contemporary con context and the, the reasons why recess is, <laughs> is an important it's philosophical so important. text. Oh man. I, I mean, I film essays are the best. I would yeah. love, that's actually if, yeah, I if I if I could get a job doing it, I would love to just make film essays mm. um, and make the videos like that. That would be so good. Anyway, yeah. um, uh, and if if anybody out there has any questions for me, like feel free to message me. Um, check me out. I also have a ceramics page on Instagram um, at Dragon Clasp. Um, Dragon Clasp. Yeah, all one one, one word, one thing. Cool. Um, and yeah, um, that's about it. Uh, so yeah, if you have any questions for me or you want Rick to ask a question next time, just shoot it to me or yeah. him.